Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. John chapter 14, verse 1 reads, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the promise of your soon return. Lord, I ask that you would just allow each and every soul here this morning to hear your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may have noticed that up here I've got this little toy from 1971 called Jack in the Box. And I don't know if you were like me, but, but maybe you had a jack-in-the-box, and, and maybe you made the mistake of playing and wondering when old Jack's going to jump out. Well, I think that uh, Jack here is a great example of what is about to happen one day very soon. One day very soon, an event that we call the rapture is going to take place. Now, I want you to understand, when I talk about the concept of the rapture, this is probably the most preposterous thing that Christianity teaches. So for the last three weeks, I have been laying the foundation. Talked about the concept of time, talked about the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled, and then last week talked about the fullness of Israel. And somewhere in between those two things, this event called the rapture occurs. CNN in 2014 had posted an article, and the title of the article was this, Even Jesus Wouldn't Buy the Rapture. That was July of 2014. And I just want you to understand that Noah was considered a conspiracy theorist in his day until it started raining. And so today what I want to do is I share with you this most preposterous ideal. I want to give you hope for eternity, and I want to leave you with urgency for today. You see, Noah had that. Noah had hope for eternity. He preached for 120 years, and the only people who got on that ark were his family. But he also had urgency for that day and that he would keep building the boat, even though it was only his family that joined him. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you five things about this concept called the rapture. And the first thing that I want to share with you is this, the promise of the rapture. The promise of the rapture is what gives us hope for eternity and urgency for today. I... I if you do any kind of study on the rapture, you will recognize very quickly that there is a lot of disagreement over when. For most of us, it's not soon enough with what's going on in the world. But Scripture is crystal clear on this concept 
that there will be a rapture of the living saints. If you um, follow us online, if you've got your smart device, I would encourage you today to um, find version the app, and look at the event because I put some bonus content in there. Um, I, I put down 23 different passages that reference the rapture. To get you out of here before 3 o'clock, I'm not going to go through all 23 of those passages. And I would encourage you to access that on your smart device. I would encourage you to save that. And I would encourage you to go in there and look at each one of those scriptures and let your faith be built stronger. John 14, 1 through 3 was one of those passages. Maybe the most studied is the next passage I'm going to read to you, and that's out of 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Let me read this to you. Verse 13 in 1 Thessalonians 4 says these words, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. If you've lost a loved one who has gone on to heaven, you understand exactly what Paul is talking about here. You understand about that grief that occurs. But you also understand about the hope of being able to see them again one day. Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so though Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and I don't, if, if you want to understand what a cry of command is, for those of us in the military, we learned about commands. And when you were in formation, there would be somebody who gave commands and everybody would move at the same time. And when we would go to what was called a parade, there would be additional commands than just the, the person who controlled that 40-man unit. And these were called preparatory commands. And I believe that's what we're reading about here is that Jesus will give a preparatory command and Michael the archangel or Gabriel the archangel will echo that. And there will be countless angels that will join them. And they'll come back and receive us. And it says, with the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be. With the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's the promise that we have that there is one day coming an event called the rapture. Now, I have told you this from the beginning. Don't take my word for it. I would save that uh, the app, I would save the event, and I would go and I would read every one of those 23 verses and allow God's word to speak to you and to build you up and to show you that you are not going to be left stranded. The second thing I want to tell you about the rapture today is the process of the rapture. Maybe this uh, will be very interesting to you. Maybe it will seem far-fetched, but let me explain the process of what's going to happen 
when the rapture occurs. The first thing that needs to be completed is that the times of the Gentiles need to be fulfilled. The Gentiles' fullness needs to be reached. If you go back and look at this series uh, as we've saved it either on Facebook or on YouTube, and I would encourage you to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can go back and listen to these messages more than one time. I know that personally, I probably listen to a message that, that when God speaks to me 10 to 20 times, and I would encourage you to do likewise. But here's what we know. The times of the uh, Gentiles will be fulfilled when that last soul is saved and completes the church. And I wonder, what would it be like to be that person? What it would be like if maybe one of your family members is that person, or one of your co-workers is that person. And for 10 years, you said nothing to them about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then one day, you had that conversation, and the Holy Spirit speaks to them through you. And they are the person that completes the church. And things change. You see, I want you to understand that the church was created supernaturally on the day of Pentecost. For the last 2,000 years, it has been uh, many attempts to exterminate the church as we know it, yet it has been sustained supernaturally. And I'm here to tell you that one day the church will be removed supernaturally. The question is, are you going with it? So not only do we have the times of the Gentiles needs to be fulfilled, when that happens, the Father is going to give Jesus, the Son of God, permission. Matthew 24, verse 36 says these words, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, listen to this, nor the Son, but the Father only. That's what Sherry just sang about in the midnight cry. The it says, I see prophecies fulfilling and the signs of the times. We're living and watching this actively happen. They're appearing everywhere. I can almost hear the father as he said, son, go get your children. Oh, at the midnight cry, the bride of Christ will rise. And immediately following that, there is going to be a trumpet sound and the dead in Christ will rise. You heard me read those words in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That is a beautiful description, but I believe maybe a better description we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52. Let me just start reading in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. And what he's saying is, I'm telling you something that doesn't make sense. I'm telling you something that most people don't believe. I'm telling you something that sounds preposterous. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now, there's been much discussion and about what is the twinkling of an eye? How long is that? Sometimes we, we hear those words and we think the, it's a blink. No, a blink takes way too long. The twinkling of an eye, if you were to divide time and cut it in half and continually cut it in half, 
a second can be divided down into the 43rd part. And at that point, it, you cannot divide time any longer. The twinkling of an eye, scientists believe, is the amount of time that it takes light to reflect off the iris of our eye. And then at the last trumpet in verse 52, for the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And I want to share with you that tonight at 5 o'clock, I'm going to be talking about our glorified bodies. I would encourage you to join us. Uh, as I share with, what is, it, what is it going to be like? What is our bodies? What are we going to be capable of? For many of you, if you wake up moaning and groaning, if you have pains, if you wish things were different when you look in the mirror, I think you're going to be excited to hear about that body. The Bible tells us that the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. Jesus did away with that. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And then there's going to be a shout. And it says, those who remain. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel with the sound of the trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise first. Maybe the best picture that we have of this in Scripture we find in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Let me read those verses to you. It says, after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. Verse number two, at once I was in the spirit. I would put in parentheses right there. At once means in the twinkling of an eye. And behold, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on that throne. And I'm here to tell you that one day in the not-too-distant future, God the Father is going to tell Jesus Christ to go get your bride. And when he does that, he's going to be accompanied by one of the archangels and a host of other angels. And then all across this globe, saved and unsaved alike, will hear a sound similar to this. While that sound is going on, those that have gone before us in Christ will be gathered together with Jesus and the angels. And then I believe everyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is going to hear something like this. Ronnie, come up here. Just like we read in Revelation 4. When we get there and I'm wrong, you tell me about it. When we get there and I'm right, just keep it to yourself. But 
as we expand into the rapture, there's a thing called the problem of the rapture. And let me share with you the problem that I see. Number one is I see a condition all across this globe called rapturitis. Maybe a better word for this is rapture fatigue. You see, uh, there are many in the church, many who are, were one day excited about this concept of the rapture, and yet in their life there's no urgency. There's no urgency to do the things that God has called them to do because they've fallen in love with the world. Luke 24, I shared with this earlier, Jesus said these words. He said that there's going to be foolish living or squandering of our things. There's going to be intoxicated living or drunkenness. And there's going to be the cares of this world that distracts followers of Christ from being excited, being ready, having the urgency that we need for today. These people that call themselves followers of Christ are more concerned with what other people think than what God thinks about them. They're more passionate about their own comfort than God's calling. They're more concerned about what they have than what they're becoming for the glory of God. Sure, they believe in God. Yes, they pray to God when they need him. They worship him when they want to feel him. They give whenever it's convenient for them. But they're consumed with loving the things of this world. And yet they want God to give them more of those things. Yeah, they prayed the sinner's prayer. They got baptized. They did the Jesus thing. They go to church. But now they hope that God does what they want to give themselves the life on earth that they want. The biggest concern with the church is this, that we're too in love with this world. And that love for this world results in a spiritual complacency. 2 Peter 3, 4 describes this perfectly. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And it's verse 1 in 2 Peter chapter 3. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And I, I can only imagine that Peter is writing the second letter. This is the last letter. Could you imagine writing the letter to your family, knowing that very soon uh, your time on this earth is about to come to an end? I remember before I went over to Afghanistan, writing a letter very similar to this. And Peter is pouring out his heart. And he says, in both of these letters, I was stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. What did he remind them? He reminded them what I've taught you for the last three weeks. And that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Verse 3. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. What do scoffers do? They scoff. If I put that in a song, you'd sing that over and over again. Haters going to hate, scoffers going to scoff. Why do scoffers scoff? Because they're following their own sinful desires. In verse 4, the scoffers will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And I'm here to tell you that this isn't scoffers outside the church. There are scoffers inside the church. Maybe you are one of those who you found yourself 
giving in and wondering, when is he coming back? One day you were excited. I mean, I remember in Bible college, there were so many of us praying that God would hold off coming back until we had a chance to get married. I know that was shallow, folks, but that's what 18 and 19-year-old boys were wanting more so than going into heaven. I wonder what today, that if you prayed, you would ask God, hold off, I need to do this, I want to accomplish this. Not realizing what is on the other side of the rapture. In verse 5 in 2 Peter 3, he says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Folks, when you encounter somebody who questions the creation of this world, they are questioning God's word at its very core. And that by these, the means of these, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. Verse 7, but by the same word of the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So the first problem we have with the rapture is the rapturitis. Those who, it's, it's uh, inflamed them and they don't understand and they've lost their zeal, they've lost their excitement. If we go to the other end of the spectrum, we have the problem of rapture mania. Rapture mania um, involves date setting. Don't do it. Matter of fact, when a date gets out there, when a book gets published, you just take it to the bank. That's not the day. That's not the time. Paul said this to Timothy. He says, I finished my race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And what we have to do is we have to temper that rapture mania. Folks, I'm one of those. I want Jesus to come back before this service is over. That would be impressive on Facebook. But here's the reality. C.H. Spurgeon said these words. She said, there are no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers here below. Church, it is not easy being a follower of Christ. If somebody told you that it was going to be, smack them in the name of Jesus. That's not what we were promised. We have been spoiled here in America because we have had freedoms to worship. In the last 15 months, we've experienced just what a little bit of pressure on that looks like. Right now in Afghanistan, followers of Christ are experiencing a lot more pressure than what we're experiencing here as a church in America. Came across an article in Slate from May of this year. A guy by the name of Joshua Rivera, he, he wrote this. As an evangelical kid, I was terrified of the rapture. And so was everyone I knew. And then these sad words. Years after I left the faith, I wanted to understand the power it held over us all. Folks, 
we don't teach the rapture to scare. We don't teach the rapture to terrify. Matter of fact, uh, Paul said, with these words, comfort one another. But I will tell you this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you better be terrified. Not because of what's going to happen on this earth when the rapture is finished. It's because what's going to happen when you take your last breath, when you enter into eternity. So we have rapturitis on one hand. On the other extreme, we have rapture mania. But here's the reality. When the rapture occurs, there's going to be some splaining to do. And I guarantee you that they're going to come up with some interesting concepts to explain away the disappearance of hundreds of millions of people across the globe. It's interesting. I came across two articles, one in the baptistnews.com, and it said with all these talk of UFOs, and this is recent, this was from June of 2021, what's a Christian to think? There have been over 120 what we would call verified sightings over the last two decades. These are military members flying in their aircraft and seeing some crazy stuff. Dispensationalists steeped in the Left Behind book series or culture have been warning for years that the media will blame the rapture on aliens. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to be here to argue with them, but I guarantee you when we're gone, they're going to use something like that to explain it away. An article in military.com from August 12th this week. The title reads, Spike in UFO Sightings Across the Nation. Folks, that is not an accident that this is happening. The enemy is getting prepared to explain away what God has promised. And I got to tell you this, things are going to change when the church is gone. And for the next two weeks, I'll be talking about the tribulation time, which is what will be occurring. But before I get there, let me finish up this sermon. And let me tell you about the purpose of the rapture. Daniel 9 is one of those passages that I've uh, went into great detail. I want to read a couple of verses to you one more time. Daniel 9 and verse 24 says these words. And it talks about a, a period of 70 weeks. said, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, to anoint a most holy place. So here we have this concept of 70 weeks and these 70 weeks of seven years for a total of 490 years. And then Daniel gets more specific, and he breaks it up into a 69-year period of time and a one-week period of time. Know therefore and understand, in verse 25, that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then in seven weeks times seven is 49, so 49 years. And then for 62 weeks, you add those two together, 483 years. And after that 62 weeks, at the end of the 483 years, if you have one of the timelines that we've been handing out for the last three weeks, um, you'll see right on there that there was a decree. It gives the number of days. And to the day after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. That was Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He was rejected by the children of Israel. And the people, and what happens here is there is a break 
between the 69 weeks and what we call the 70th week. Folks, we are on that break. It has ha- it's been going on for 2,000 years. And then this is what happens at the end of that break. This is what happens when the church is taken out and God finishes that seven years with his nation Israel. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. Many hear the words that uh, I'm going to come quickly. And they thought that, well, you know, in AD 32, when Jesus said those words, here we are almost 2,000 years later. What are you talking about when you say you're going to come quickly? And we read that and we look at it the wrong way. We look at it that, well, I'm coming back tomorrow or next week. And what he's saying is, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming in the twinkling of an eye. I'm coming like a rushing flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. In verse 27 of Daniel chapter 9. And he shall make, and the, the, the he that it's talking about here is the person that you have probably heard referred to as the Antichrist. And he, the Antichrist, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. Last week I shared with you how that God's timetable, that Israel was like the hour hand, the city of Jerusalem was like the minute hand, and the next temple to be built, the third temple, would be like the second hand. That temple is going to be built very soon. When that happens, is that going to be before the rapture or after? I don't know, and frankly, I don't care. But it will be built. The Bible tells us that God's word doesn't return void. And he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The purpose is to save us from the day of wrath. Now listen to me. The purpose of the rapture is to save us from the day of wrath, not from the Antichrist. Folks, I'm not looking for the Antichrist to come. I'm looking for Jesus Christ to return. There are a couple of words that, or verses that should scare most people. Daniel 7, 21 and 22 says these words. As I looked, this horn, referring to the Antichrist, made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Until the Ancient of Days came, And the judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 7. Also, it was allowed, it being the Antichrist, was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given to it, the Antichrist, over every tribe and people and language and nation. But folks, here's where our hope lies. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This is the first time the reference of the church is being mentioned. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I don't know about you, but what is the purpose of having a gate, having a fence? Is it to keep people out or in? Well, it depends on which side you live. What do you think the purpose of the gates of hell are? They're a defensive purpose. What does that tell you? We as the church should be offensive. We should offend those with the words that we read in Scripture. 
We should do this and not be ashamed. We should do this and not fear. We should do this hoping that one day they can have hope for eternity. The church I said earlier was born supernaturally. It has been sustained supernaturally. And my friends, one day it will be removed supernaturally. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 gives us this encouragement. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Whose wrath is it talking about? Is it the wrath of the Antichrist? Who has been given the, uh, permission and the ability and the authority over the saints that will uh, accept Jesus Christ during the tribulation? That's not the wrath. It's God's wrath. God's wrath will be poured out on this earth. And things will happen. Folks, COVID is nothing. Uh, literally. Figuratively. And the reality is this, that this is the easiest pandemic you've ever seen in your life. Folks, there's coming stuff much worse. I'm just going to say it this way. When you got to get tested to find out if you got something, I don't know that that qualifies as drastic. What do you mean I've got it? I don't have any symptoms. The wrath of God won't look like that. Everybody will know where it's coming from. They won't be arguing, was it created in a lab in Wuhan? They'll be acknowledging that it's from the creator of this universe. And so let me close with this, the proposal about the rapture. And the first thing I would tell you in this proposal is stay awake, not just here in this message, not if you're driving and you're listening to this online. Stay awake because Matthew 24 verses 40 through 42 says these words. Then two men will be in the field one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of Jesus Christ, your Savior. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. I shared with you that story, how that right outside my window, I had stuff stolen. Right there within eight feet of this mean German shepherd, attack-trained dog, he snoozed right beside me. And I'm here to tell you, church, that there are going to be many people who fall asleep and miss the coming of the Son of God. If they were writing the Bible, maybe it would have read this way. Two women were in line at Starbucks, one taken and one left. Two men were fishing in a boat, one taken, one left. Two teenagers were working at Sonic, one taken and one left. Two brothers sitting in the church, one taken and one left. 100 people sitting in church, 50 taken, 50 left. Folks, we need to stay awake. And the second thing, we need to be prepared. 
Matthew 25 shares a story with us. I'm going to read this to you in verses 1 through 13. It says, In the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. And the way this happened in the Jewish tradition is the bride and her bridesmaids, they would gather at her house because they knew that the bridegroom was going to be coming very soon. But it says here that five of them were foolish and five were wise. I'll tell you this, a very wise man by the name of Billy Graham made this statement that he believed that half the people who attended church on any given Sunday probably were not saved. I think that lines up with Matthew chapter 24. It absolutely lines up with this story here in Matthew chapter 25. Verse 3, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. What was the first piece of advice in my proposal about the rapture? Stay awake. Even if you get drowsy. Even if it becomes 9 p.m. Because verse number 6 says, But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. What this would look like is they could literally see the house up on a hill, the father's house, and they could see the torches as they were coming. And so they started waking everybody up in the house. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves at midnight. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. A couple thousand years ago, a door got shut on a boat, and the entire world, except for eight people, perished. And very soon, there's coming a time when the door is going to be shut. It says here, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Worship team, if you'll come back up. I have been talking to you about the concept of, are you ready? I'd like to read John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3 to you just a little differently. It says these words, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you and that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you Maybe also. There is no excuse. There is no reason why anyone needs to be the other half of there was two in the field, one taken and one left. The reason why one will be left is because they made a decision. They made a decision not to be the you in John chapter 14. We don't have to make that decision. If you're here today 
and you have never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I'm here to tell you that you don't, you don't have to wait another minute. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lead all of us in a prayer. We call this the sinner's prayer. Folks, it's not saying this prayer that does anything. It's the heart with, with which we say it. And what I would encourage all across this room, if you've never done this, I would encourage you to repeat the words that I'm about to. And matter of fact, if you've ever asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to repeat these words with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, everybody repeat these words. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I give you my life. Jesus save me. Jesus save me. And forgive my sins. And make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you. And live for you the rest of my life. Give me hope for eternity. And urgency for today. To serve you with all my heart. In all my ways, in everything that I do, living for you, thank you for this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. If that was the first time you've ever said those words and you mean that in your heart, I would encourage you to pull out one of our orange response cards in front of you and fill that out. Let us know you don't have to go through this alone. You don't have to face eternity by yourself. The creator of this world made a way. Made a way when there was no way for us. All we have to do is believe. Came across a pastor friend of mine who shared this. I don't know if it's a poem or just a, a saying, but it was, he titled it, Time is Short. And here's what I know. The rapture gives us hope for eternity and urgency for today. And so here's my challenge to you. As I read this, time is short. If there are words here that you resonate with, and as a Christ follower, you want to be a part of your life, I would ask you to join me in standing. It says, because time is short, my king is coming soon, and eternity matters, I will give him my all today. No regrets. No excuses, no holding back. With his help and by his power, I will leave no words unsaid, no deeds undone, and no hope unshared. My faith moves mountains, my prayers calm storms, my words give life, my hands bring healing, my feet deliver the good news of the gospel that Christ is risen and he is coming again. His word is a lamp unto my feet, his spirit is my power, and when I'm weak, he makes me strong. Because Christ is coming, I will not back down, sell out, or be pushed around. My life is too valuable, my calling too great, and my God too good to waste my life on the things that do not last. I'm empowered by God's spirit, trained by his word, and tried by the fire. Because my life is not my own and earth is not my home, I will live for the glory of God and not for the applause of men. Because Christ lives in me, trials will not stop me. People cannot break me. 
Money cannot buy me. Haters will not silence me. And demons cannot defeat me. I am strong in the Lord and his mighty power to do his will on earth as in heaven. If those words echo with you, would you join me in standing as I pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we have heard your promise. And God, I pray if there's anyone here today who is wondering, there should be no one at Crossroads Church that gets caught asleep. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would not let them go until they surrender. Lord, be with us as we close. In Jesus' name, amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. 